welcome. Hopefully you've met some nice people. Um, we're not all mental. Some of us are really nice and dead on. Um, no, hope you feel welcome. Um, it's my joy. Uh, my name's Andrew. It's my joy to uh, get to do this every Sunday. To, to uh, I mean, I was just chatting with Rachel, who read for us there, like, just... Uh, you, you know, um, just a lot of stuff we have coming up over Christmas. So we got the carol service tonight, and then we got next Sunday and Christmas Eve. And, and, but, but actually, like, I, I get to tell people about Jesus, right? That's my job. <laughs> my job is to tell people about the love of Jesus. And I can't think of anything better than that. It's amazing. So in short, if you're a visitor, you're really welcome. Um, this morning, we're continuing our Advent season. As we saw already, we're, we're, today we're looking at, at joy. Um, we've been looking at these uh, words that are associated with this time of year um, that, that help us to focus in on what the Christmas message is really all about. So first, we, we looked at hope. Um, and then we, last week, I hear Lonnie did uh, a great job pulling knives and stuff on people, uh, looking at peace. There you go. I still haven't listened to it, but apparently it was great. And this morning, we're going to look at joy. I don't have any knives. I don't have any uh, illustrations, uh, so hopefully it won't be too boring for you. Um, I think that at this time of year, the world tells us a lot about these words, especially like especially peace and joy, right? You, even on Christmas decorations, cards, you see a lot about peace, you see a lot about joy. Um, but but the, truth is, the truth is that none of these things make sense or have any real meaning without Jesus, right? This is what we believe. This is what the Bible tells us. So I want to start by asking you to, maybe to get you thinking a wee bit, like, think about your own life. What makes you joyful? Genuinely, what, what, what puts you in your happy place? Or, or maybe a more pressing question for us uh, is, would you consider yourself to be a joyful person? Like, do you think of yourself as joyful? So when I look back at my life, there's a few times, a few few moments in my life when I've been so full of joy. I was going to say I've been moved to tears, but that's like every day for me. Um, I mean, like, just, you know when you have joy that it's like physical? Oh, that's getting a dodgy territory. You know what I mean? Like, like, you have like a physical response to your joy. Like, so I remember one of the things like on my wedding day, I remember like turning around and Haley's coming up the aisle and I was just like, I felt like someone had like punched me in the gut. Like, whoa, this wave of joy. Or, or whenever... Abigail and Finley were born, it was the same kind of thing. And I know that those are the answers I'm supposed to give, and they truly were really joyful. But there's other things in life, like quote-unquote less important things, that bring me joy too, and I'm sure it's the same for you. So one of my favorite things is to go fishing. And uh, I love, I'm not very good at it at all. Um, I love, uh, essentially what I like is... uh, being by the sea and buying fishing gear. <laughs> That's essentially what I like about it. But so I could, I could literally stand on the rocks for hours and hours and hours on my own, just looking out to sea. I, I, I just love it. That's me in my ha- one of my happy places. And I mentioned then the other night that we had uh, a child-free night. And that's, you see that idea for Haley, this is her happy place, going to bed early, knowing she's not going to get woken up in the middle of the night and, and sleeping in the next day. That's her happy place. And it was amazing. It was so good. But I would say that, and you probably have your own ideas, right, of what your happy place is. What brings you joy? Maybe it's being with family. Maybe it's being with friends. Maybe, I don't know, whatever it might be. But I would suggest that even in those most joyful things, even the things you're like, that was incredible. That was a really good thing we did. Or that was a really great thing we experienced. Or any of those things. Essentially, the joy eventually fades, doesn't it, right? It fades to memory. 
And you look back on those things and you go, that, was, that made me really happy. Even something like, something as, as life-changing as a wedding day. And I think that like each of our Advent themes, uh, joy is probably the one that's most misrepresented at this time of year. I, I was thinking a lot about it this week. Um, I think it's the most oversold or overpromised and underdelivered one of all these words that we, we hear at this time of year. So almost every advert you see on TV is about uh, people being together and they're either enjoying food or enjoying stuff, right? Being together, enjoying food or enjoying stuff. That's almost every advert, right? Have you seen the Tesco ones at the minute? And I think it's, the tagline is, it's Christmas, anything goes. Like, or it's like, do your own kind of Christmas, that kind of thing. And what that shows is like different types of families. Essentially what it is, is different types of families and friends, different groups of people getting together around a table and having a meal. And this is what brings us joy. But the truth is, I don't know about you, but it's a good Christmas if we get through dinner and nobody gets a punch in the face, right? That's, that's probably true for, well, maybe it's not that bad. But that, that idea, like it, it, even that, the most joyful thing the world can offer us, you know, isn't actually that joyful when it comes down to it. The kind of, the kind of joy we're, we're, we're offered is, 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 is temporary and fleeting. and It doesn't last. Even in the moment, it doesn't even necessarily bring us that much joy. So the next question really is, what, what will? What kind of joy, where can we get this joy that actually satisfies us? Where can we get the joy that, that doesn't fade away? Where can we get the joy that's, that's going to last? So in the passage we, we had read, the passage we're looking at, just keep your Bibles open. If you have your Bibles with you, just keep them open. In the passage we read today, Jesus offers what? He offers complete joy, full joy, that my joy would be in you, that your joy would be full. That's what he says to us. So I, wanna, I want us to bear this question in mind as we move on. What kind of joy is this that Jesus offers us and how can we have it? Let me pray for us before we get in and uh, then we'll see what the Bible has to say about joy. Father, we don't, uh, don't want to expect that we can muster up answers to these questions on our own. Um, Lord, even whenever we read, read your word that we, we can actually try and put our own meanings into these things and we don't want to do that this morning. We want to hear from you we know that you have good things for us. We know that you've offered us complete joy and full joy and lasting joy. We, you've offered us your joy. So help us to figure that out. Help us to understand this morning. We need your help. And we just ask for it knowing that it's freely given. Uh, in Jesus' name, amen. So the first thing we're going to look at this morning is we have to do some background work. So I want to, I, I, first thing I want to look at is the meaning of joy. What is the meaning of joy? So just like we have in English, the Bible uses like a ton of different words to kind of mean the same thing. So in the Old Testament and the New Testament, there's all these different words for joy. And uh, like we do this, right? Don't we have like gladness and happiness and joyfulness and rejoicing and all these different ca- kinds of things. And the Bible does the same thing. And whilst all these words have their own kind of nuances and, and uh, different emphasis, they all kind of point to the same thing. This feeling of uh, contentment, uh, happiness, gladness, joy. And the theme of joy, it's right through the Bible. And like I've said about each of these words, sometimes we don't notice them much in the Bible, but then when you start to notice them, you realize they're everywhere. 
like literally when I was uh, trying to think about this joy thing, I was just, I just was faced with like uh, scripture verse after scripture verse after scripture verse, Old Testament, New Testament, full of joy, joy pouring off the pages. But it's really interesting when you look at the Bible and you look at the kinds of things that it says bring us joy. So Psalm 65 says that there's joy in nature, right? It says the pastures of the wilderness overflow, the hills gird themselves with joy. That shouldn't surprise us because God made creation and he said it's good. So if God thinks it's good, it's obviously pretty good. Like even this morning when I woke up, it was still dark. It was starting to get light a wee bit and I came outside and and you could see like uh, the morning star really bright in the sky. And I just stood there for a minute outside like in the freezing cold like this is incredible, so bright. The sun was starting to come up. Incredible, just full of joy in that. Jeremiah 33 says that there's joy to be found in a wedding. Proverbs 23 says that there's joy to be found in, in your children. And that's certainly true, unless it's three o'clock in the morning. One of my favorites is, I know a lot of you like this one too, Psalm 104 says, let me get this right, says that uh, God gives us wine to gladden our hearts. There's joy to be had in a good bottle of wine. Amen? amen. <laughs> Someone's like, hey man, come on. Mention booze, suddenly everyone's really like Pentecostal and everything. (laughs) But my point is, these things aren't the source of joy themselves. They're things that God has given us to show us how his joy looks like, what his joy is like. Things that are essentially good things for us that we can take joy in, but they're meant to point us to the greater joy, which is God himself. They're meant to point us to the source of all joy, God himself. Now in the New Testament, The word that is often used to describe joy, a particular type of joy, is this Greek word, kara. I think it's on the screen. There you go. And it means gladness, uh, to delight in, rejoicing. Now, what's interesting about this Greek word was that it wasn't a very common word. But what the apostles did and the the, the early Christians did is they started adopting this word. And they kind of, they brought it back into uh, they brought it back into uh, to popular usage because it described a particular type of joy. It describes this inner feeling of gladness and del- delight that comes from our spiritual reality. And, and so they took this word that wasn't very well, well used and they said, we're going to take that word and we're going to use that and put our stamp on it and say, this is what it means to have joy in the Lord, knowing that it that is well with my soul, knowing that I am saved, whatever way you want to put it. Joy is this feeling of inner gladness, delight, or rejoicing. That's the word the Bible uses for joy. And, and my problem is this then when I think about this. Because I feel like sometimes we reduce what the Bible says about joy to match our experience. Now let me expand on what I mean by that. I think that's the wrong way to do things. So we'll be going around, well, I don't feel that joyful all the time. So I guess maybe the Bible means something different by joy. So we say things like, you know, even conversations I had this week with people, just like, what do you think joy is? And, you know, that's what I like to do when I'm preparing these sermons is like talk to people and get their ideas and input. And people will say to me, well, you know, joy, joy in the Bible isn't like being happy. It's different than that. But that's not what I see in the Bible, right? This isn't what the Bible teaches. Joy in the New Testament is virtually always, uh, it goes along with this feeling of, 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 of being happy, of being joyful, of, of, being, of rejoicing, right? The, 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 the Christians in the New Testament were known as being a community of people that were full of joy. 
And for them to be known as a community as being full of joy, there must have been an outward sign of their joy, right? It wasn't like, well, things are really tough and get thrown to the lions today, so, uh, but I'm still full of joy, like, still full of joy. No, they were outwardly happy. We see this in um, Acts 16 when Paul and Silas, um, they're thrown in prison. They're arrested and thrown in the prison because they were, they were preaching the good news of Jesus. They were going around saying, everybody needs Jesus. You need Jesus. How do you have joy? Now, What's interesting is if this was a movie, it would be cut to the scene of them in prison, chained up to the guards, midnight, middle of the night, pitch black, and they're not sitting, moping about, going, how are we going to escape out of this? Or, oh, this is so bad, Silas, isn't it? It's awful, Paul. No, we cut to that scene, them in prison at midnight, and what are they doing? They're singing hymns. They're singing hymns, even when they're being persecuted. They're like full of joy. James, later on in the New Testament, he says, when we face hardship and and, and hard times and trials of any kind, count it all joy. This, to me, doesn't seem like the Bible's saying that joy is something different than inward uh, inward kind of thing. It seems like we are meant to be joyful people. We're meant to be outwardly joyful. See, joy in the Bible is a depth of assurance and confidence in Jesus. And that ignites a cheerful heart. And what happens when your cheerful heart is ignited? You have cheerful behavior. What God has done for us on the inside should spill out to the outside, should spill over to the outside. Joy isn't an experience that comes from just when things are going right. It's not about favorable circumstances. It's God's gift to us as believers. Galatians 5 tells us that that joy is a gift of the Holy Spirit. So what I'm trying to say here is, and I think this is really relevant to to a lot of us and me as well, is that it's okay to be happy, right? It's okay to be happy. (laughs) So I think we miss that. In fact, I would say that if we know Jesus, then we should be happy. Why wouldn't we be happy? Too cool to be happy. (laughs) Whatever. You're going to heaven. Shut up. We should be the most joyful people in the world because Jesus is real. Because Jesus came to earth and he lived and died and rose again and ascended to heaven. So why are we not the most joyful people in the world? We have the answer to everlasting joy. And I do want us to be challenged by this this morning. If people... When, when, when people looked at the, the, the early church, then the New Testament church, they recognized them as a people of joy. And I want to challenge us this morning. If people looked at us, would they see a people of joy? Peter, in his letter, he writes, um, he writes, always be prepared to give a reason for the hope that is in you. Well, you know what? People are going to only ask for a reason for the hope that's in you if they can see a hope that's in you. So are you a joyful person? Do you have joy in your life? Or, or, or do we sometimes stifle the gift of joy that's given to us? This is the kind of joy that we were made for, which brings me on to my next point, that we were created for joy. We're made for joy. So earlier on, I mentioned that um, we all... Hey, Tom, could you get me a glass of water, please? Thanks. Uh, I had like four cups of coffee, and it just really dries your throat <laughs> Um, earlier on I mentioned that we all seek joy, right? 
Everyone in the world is looking for joy. I think we could all agree with that. We all want to be happy. We all want to be fulfilled. We all want to be content. And, and whilst we as good Christians would probably say, oh, well, they're all looking for that in the wrong places. Um, I, I want to park that for a minute and focus on this, that there is a reason that we all look for joy. There's a reason that we're all searching for happiness. And the reason is that we were made for joy, that we were created for joy. Did you know that? You were created in the design of who you are. You were designed to, for joy. Let me explain. So in our passage, I want you to notice two things. Verse 9 and verse 10. Verse 9 says, As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. And verse 10 says, If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments, thank you, and abide in his love. You will abide in my love, just as I have abided in the Father's love. So what's Jesus talking about? Well, what he's talking about is his oneness with the Father. And the love of God, the love that God has within himself. He's talking about the Trinity. So, if you're new to Christianity, what you need to understand about God is that that he is three in one. Three persons in one being. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. When we say God, when we sing songs and we worship God, we're not worshiping God the Father we're worshiping God. We're worshiping God the three. We call, we call it the, the Godhead. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They're not three different parts of God. They are the same. This is the key. They are the same in substance and equal in power and glory. Father, Son, and Spirit. God. And God has always existed this way. This is what the Bible tells us. He has always existed in this um, threeness <laughs> this threeness nature he has and because he has this threeness nature and he's perfect in his being that, that he has existed in perfect love in himself does that make sense so you can't this is why the trinity this is why um it's hard for you couldn't do evangelism without a trinitarian god without god being three and one because if you say well god has always been love well you can't have love unless there's something to love which is why it's perfect that God is three and one because he has existed loving himself forever you remember that we we saw in first John that, that that John said God is love well this is how he is love and because God is perfect because he's majestic and glorious God has always existed. Father, Son, and Spirit given glory to one another. Jesus says that, that when he receives glory, he gives it back to the Father. And actually, Jesus also says that, that he's, so, he's so for, so jealous for the Holy Spirit that the only unforgivable sin is to grieve the Holy Spirit. That's how much he cares about the Holy Spirit. They are one. They, 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 they want to give glory to one another constantly. This is how he's always existed. Enjoying the majesty of one another. Taking joy in one another. Glorifying one another. God in himself taking joy in themselves. God in himself taking joy in themselves. And here's where it gets good, if that wasn't good enough. It was this love of each other and this joy from one another and this desire to give one another, this other-centered focus that God has That was what caused him to create the world. That's what caused him to create you. There's this, um, this is where I know my nerdy side comes out a lot. I'm actually really cool, but 
there's oh yeah, laugh at that. Um, there's this uh, there's this uh, Puritan uh, from the 1600s called Richard Sibbs, and maybe none of you have heard of him. Maybe some of you have, you nerds. Um, but he says he describes it this way. He calls that. God's spreading goodness. Isn't that really cool? God's spreading goodness. We were created out of God's spreading goodness. It was this overflowing goodness, overflowing glorification of himself, overflowing enjoyment of himself that caused him to create us. His love overflowed. He didn't make us because he had any need. It wasn't like he was like, you know, it wasn't like, you know, um, it wasn't like when, uh, you, you know, like, Two people are like, you know, there's something missing in our lives. We should have a baby. It wasn't like that. God wasn't missing anything. He wasn't like, oh, there's a hole there. I really want to create something. It wasn't like, oh, we need to have more joy. Or it wasn't like, oh, we need to have something worship us. It wasn't that at all. It was this perfect overflowing joy that caused him to create us. You were created out of God's goodness. Look at Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 and 27. It's going to be on the screen, I think. I think it is. Is it? I don't know. Uh, It says this. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps in the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Now notice that God says, let us create mankind in our image. That's the Trinity. Father, Son, and Spirit, all part of creating you and me. But I want you to notice specifically how we are created. We are created in his image. Now, this doesn't mean that we look like God because God is spirit, the Bible tells us, right? It's not like a physical thing. It's not flesh and blood that we look like him. But it means that we resemble his characteristics. And part of that is that we were uh, created for relationship, We were created for fellowship. We were created for joy. We were created for giving glory to another because that's key to who he is within himself. We were made to share and enjoy the glory and majesty and joy that God has within himself. We were created out of the joy of God for the joy of God. Some of you, maybe when you were kids, depending on your church background, um, might have learned your catechism. Anyone? Hands up. Learn catechism. Baby, yeah. So you, this will be a familiar phrase to you. What is the chief end of man? Somebody, anyone remember? Want to shout it out? Come on, Chris. The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Glorify God and enjoy him forever. Did I say something wrong, God? <laughs> like, are we fried here or something? The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. What that means is, I agree with that, by the way. What that means is that the source of God's joy is in giving glory to himself. And so because we're made in his image, our greatest joy comes from giving him glory. Okay? So he is someone who gives glory to God. And so we are made in his image. And so we give glory to God. And so you're like, well, how does that relate to our joy? Well, because it's what we were made to do. So you might notice this, notice this in people. You know whenever like, uh, you see someone doing something and they're so happy about it and you just think, oh, that's what you were made to do. That person was made to do that. They're so happy. Like, I, think, I was thinking about this and I was thinking about Mark Chambers and flying. Man, he just took your ear off about airplanes and I actually enjoy it. And uh, 
flying. Like he's just so joyful about it. Just, when, you're, when you see, hear him talking about this stuff, you're like, boy, that's what you were made to do. You are just made to do that. And that's what, that's what this idea is like. When, when we're doing what we're made to do, we're, we're joyful. You see, glorifying God is ingrained into the very fabric of your being. That's why the only thing that can ever give you real joy is giving God, giving God glory. If I can get my L's right. And this is what Jesus is telling his disciples. He's telling them this is the very thing. Let's read it here. He says that he's telling, in verse 11, he says that he's telling them all of this so that their joy would be full. But look at verse 8. Verse 8, he says, By this, the, my Father is glorified. And I want to be really clear about this. God's glory is our joy. Now, I know that right now this all might seem a bit idealistic and everything, but I hope by the end of this we're going to have a real kind of tangible uh, way of working this out. God's glory is our joy. In other words, we find joy in glorifying God because that's what we were created to do. That's what we were created to do. We will be most joyful when we're glorifying God. We will be most joyful when, when our satisfaction is found fully in him. When, when we submit our lives to his authority and, and obey him and love him and worship him. When we, you ever, I mean, there's even people in this room and I'm just like, I'm just like that person lives for Jesus. And they are some of the most joyful people I've ever met. You know people like this. Man, they just love Jesus so much and they're always joyful. There's a reason for that because they're doing what they were meant to do and therefore they're joyful. But what if, what if you love Jesus, you try to live for him and you don't feel it? What happens then? Why is it, why is it that human history, if, we, if God made us to have joy and, and, and made us in his image for joy, then why is it that human history isn't just about joy fest? Because it's not, right? Most of human history is pain and suffering and wars and famine and betrayal and worse. Why is it that, that the joy is gone? Where did the joy go? Well, like all these things, we kind of have to go back to the beginning. See, there was a time in history when human beings enjoyed God fully, existed as they were created to, and lived, uh, lived the way they were meant to and enjoyed the fullness of God. And Adam and Eve rejected God, and, and we and every other human being since that has rejected God. We've gave up God. We've gave up the joy that he offers. We've replaced the joy that God offers for like a cheap knockoff. I want you to hear these words from Romans 1, 21 to 25. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. And exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the, create, the creature rather than the creator. This is what God is saying. He's saying, if you want to know where all the joy went, look there. This is what happened. We've, we were created, to, to, we were created to, to be in the joy of the Lord, to experience the joy of God, to take glory in God and therefore be, be, be full of joy. But we've exchanged it for something fake and worthless, for images. Maybe we don't worship uh, images resembling mortal man and birds, Maybe we do when you maybe we do worship images looking like mortal man actually. But maybe we maybe we worship 
our iPhone. New phone this week. That was a pretty joyful moment for me yesterday. A oh, sweet new phone. But you know what? In 10 minutes, I was like, oh, it's exactly the same as my old phone. When I was a kid, uh, you remember the Adidas, like three-stripe trousers, the tracksuit bottoms? Man, those were the trousers to have, the Adidas three-stripe. And uh, everyone wanted them. And I was so excited because my mom told me she got some. And then I pulled them out of the bag and they were Abidaz two-stripe. <laughs> oh, man. But the worst part of that was that she tried to convince me that they were real. Why are you trying to convince me? You're trying to convince me they were real. We didn't have much money growing up. And, uh, you know, she was doing her best. Um, but, but it's kind of like that what we've done with God. He's given us everything we need to be completely joyful and full. And, and we try and find it in other places. We try, and, we try and all those good things we talked about. Creation and the things that the Bible mentioned. Our kids, our family, a good bottle of wine. All those things. We, we've, we've tried to find our ultimate joy in the things that are supposed to point us to the joy. So imagine if somebody gave you uh, the most beautifully wrapped Christmas present. I was thinking about this. I was thinking of... Um, uh, Love Actually, you ever seen that film? Um, and uh, I, I'm not, I don't like that film at all, but there's a funny bit in it where Mr. Bean is wrapping the presents. Uh, at Rowan Atkinson, not Mr. Bean. It's funnier in your head if it's Mr. Bean. And he's wrapping the presents, right? And he keeps adding on another wee bow and putting the glitter on and all this kind of stuff. So imagine somebody gave you a present like that that he had wrapped. Now, there'd be so much hope in it, so much promising that gift because you're thinking well if it's this beautifully wrapped then it must be an amazing present but then imagine if on Christmas morning you come downstairs and there it is under the tree and you rip it open and it's just an empty box that's what the joy that the world offers us is like that's there's no substance to it we we all know it and we've replaced true joy and lasting happiness we've replaced substantial joy for the trappings of these false promises. I just want to challenge you this morning and challenge myself. If you're only looking for joy in material things, then you're going to be left feeling pretty empty. <laughs> pretty soon a new iPhone's going to come out. Or that, that, or that, that new coat or, or jumper that you bought, pretty soon that's going to be out of fashion. Or that new car that you saved up for, pretty soon it's going to get a scratch or a dent especially if I'm near it. Or that new band that everyone's raving about me, they won't be cool anymore. Or if you're trying to find lasting joy in your relationships, you're going to be left feeling empty. I'll tell you why. Because pretty soon that person's going to let you down. They're going to betray you. And even if they don't do these first two things, pretty soon they're going to pass away. And that's harsh, but it's true. So let me ask you this morning, where are you looking for your joy? Why are you trying to find joy? Are you really surprised that you don't feel joyful all the time if you're looking to these things to make you joyful? Only Jesus can give us joy. That's what I'm trying to say. Only by living our life for the single purpose of loving Jesus and worshiping him so that we can give glory to God can we have absolute and complete and the fullness of joy that he's promised us in John 15. Which brings me on to my next point, the promise of joy. That was quite smooth. Smooth segue this morning. It's good. The season of Advent is good news, isn't it? Yeah? There's a reason the whole world, more or less the whole world, 
Certainly the whole Western world celebrates Christmas. And the reason is because it really is joy to the world. And the world recognizes that. It's a time when the world gets together in celebration. And that's a really beautiful, wonderful thing. It's, it's, actually a, it's actually, even though we exist in this broken image of God, it's a hangover from what we were created for. But in this Christmas celebration, we, we remember that even when we reject God, even when we've replaced his glory for, for something, a cheap knockoff, a fake, lesser things, even when we've done that, he doesn't leave us in that. Even whenever we recognize that the joy in the world is gone, as it has been, God doesn't leave us that way. This is what Advent's all about. This is what Christmas is all about. God has a plan. He, has a pl- he always has had a plan for his people. That, that The people that he created out of his joy to experience his joy and his glory, he has made a way for us to receive that joy again, to enter into the fullness of that joy. This is what Christmas is all about. And all through the Old Testament, from the, 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 history, uh, uh, the history of the world, we see that, that God has been uh, promising a day, a coming day, when he would make things right. He would make things right. This is what we've been doing um, Advent with Finley and, and reading his, his Jesus Storybook Bible, and, and he always talk about this phrase, like God, like God has promised one that would come and make things right. And even Finley knows that things aren't quite right. One was promised, a day was promised when, when one would come that would restore, the, restore people to the joy that they were created for. Look at Isaiah chapter 35 and verse 10. Now, this was, before I read it, this was written in a time, when, a time in history when uh, it was pretty bleak. God's people, the people who were supposed to worship God and find their joy in him and glorify him, they'd rejected him. They were worshiping false gods. Things were so bad that even the king was engaging in child sacrifice. He, he actually sacrificed his own child to some idol. That's how bad things were. And they were really living in the result of having uh, rejected God. And into that, into that, God speaks. And listen to what he says. And the ransomed of the Lord, God's people, shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads, and they shall obtain gladness and joy, and sorrow and seeing shall flee away. Even though they had exchanged the joy of God for for something completely different, they they were worshiping idols, they were doing all kinds of crazy stuff. God said, I'm going to restore your joy. Eternal joy is going to be, everlasting joy is going to be upon your head. All the sorrow and sighing that you're feeling, that's going to pass away. This is the promise that we, is given to us right now. God sees you this morning. We need to be clear about that. It doesn't matter what you're going through. All, all the, the pain that you're going through, the hard things that you're going through. Uh, it doesn't even matter how much you've rejected God. It doesn't matter how, uh, it doesn't matter if you've never even thought about it until this moment right now. God sees you and he wants to give you everlasting joy. I mean, doesn't that sound pretty good? Through Jesus, we have access to this full joy. Joy that doesn't depend on what our circumstances are like. This is why when the angel came to announce the birth of Jesus to the shepherds, the angel said, fear not, for I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. Good news of great joy. Advent is the coming of Jesus, and the coming of Jesus means the coming of joy. 
Jesus came into the world so that the joy we had given away could be freely given back to us again. Think of it that way. Maybe you need joy this morning. Maybe you could do a wee bit of joy in your life. Hmm? Maybe just the situations are, they just seem too much. Maybe it's, I don't know, all these things that you have going on in your life. Maybe you don't, maybe you just don't feel very joyful. Then can I just say you need Jesus? No matter if you've been a Christian for 50 years or not, you need Jesus. And don't, please don't look to, and I'm so guilty of it myself, I just have to say it in front of you, don't look to the fake, temporary, kind of fleeting joy that, that the world offers us this time of year. I love Christmas, I really do. And I get, my temptation, I get so caught up in the, the Christmas festival that, I, that I, I, I miss out on the joy that Jesus brings, the real Christmas. Despite what the world says, happiness is not from within. You can't make yourself happy by getting more and more stuff. But yes, of course we can enjoy these good things that God has given us. Yes, we can have the parties and we can enjoy the presents and, and we can do the whole family thing and that's brilliant and beautiful and lovely and we really should do that thing, those things. And they might make us happy for a wee while, but they're not going to fix whatever it is is making you unhappy. Only in Jesus can our joy be complete. Why? Why can our joy only be complete in Jesus? Because he is the source of joy. He's the source of joy. Now, I want to do a quick recap because I've just said a whole bunch of stuff and I don't want, um, I want it to be clear. So hopefully we've got this picture, right, that built up. We were created to delight in God. We're made in his image. So we're created to share in that joy and that delight. But we've rejected God and we've tried to find joy in other lesser things. Those that we've, we've tried to find the uh, Adidas three-stripe and the Abidas two-stripe. But God in his love, even though we were rejecting him, he made a way for our joy to be restored. For this is how we were created to be. And then Jesus is the promised one who would come and restore our joy. But here I want to get to this. How, what does this look like? How do we get this joy? I'm going to go back to John 15 again. Start at verse 9, this is what he says. As the Father has loved me, Jesus says this, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. So this is Jesus, the night before he dies, speaking to his disciples. It's what's called uh, the farewell discourse. So he's, it's a, basically his goodbye conversation. That's what he's having. He knows he's going to be leaving them soon, and he's sharing some of his best teaching with them. And he's describing what their life will look like. And he's talking about a life in him that, that is abiding in him, uh, and, and how all of that has to do with joy and love and obedience and how all these things come together. So look at verse 9 again. He says, As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. See, Jesus has this life prepared for us, and it's about us remaining in him or abiding in him. So for us Christians, we've received God's love. In fact, it's actually more than that. The very love of the Father that he has for Christ, for Jesus, has been given to us. We receive that love that the Trinity has for one another through Jesus. He is the doorway into that. That's why he says, I am the door. He literally says that. 
Through Jesus, we enter into the love of the Trinity. And this is why Jesus tells us to abide in his love, to live, literally to live in his love. Don't leave it, live in it. And why is this so incredible? Because abiding in Jesus' love isn't just about being in love with Jesus. It's actually about participating in the very nature of God. The very thing that we were created for in the first place. Made in his image. And Jesus says, come back and be in his image and our image once again. That's where you're going to find joy. Where we're created to share in his delight and we threw it away. But now we have access to it once again through Jesus. It's the same love that the, the, the father loves the son. In Jesus we receive the love of the trinity. No wonder the angels came and shouted and sang about it, right? No wonder. (laughs) Because the coming of Jesus signified the coming of his kingdom, the kingdom in which we will all exist eternally in just pure delight and joy. We won't be striving to get more stuff. We won't be worrying about stuff. We won't be getting sick. We won't be losing loved ones. No one will be breaking our heart. We'll just exist the way we were created to in perfect delight and joy forever and ever. This is why Christmas is good news of great joy. Why wouldn't we want to share that with people? By the way, that's an interesting point. That overflowing goodness, that spreading goodness. This is why we're called to share the gospel. This is why this church is a church planting church. This is why we are missional people because we are made in God's image and that image is one of overflowing goodness. So our goodness should overflow to others. It doesn't stop with us. It's it's good news of great joy to all people. Now you might be thinking, this sounds great and all. I really want to live in the love of God. I do want to experience that and I do want to abide in his love. But how do I do that? What does that look like? Well, luckily for us, Jesus tells us. This is where we come on to our last point, the choice of joy. Look at verse 10 again. Um, If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. So, how do we remain in his love? Simple, we obey his commands. He literally says it right there. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. See, remaining in the love of God, living in in Jesus' love, it isn't like some mystical, well, it is mystical, but it's not some kind of ethereal thing that we kind of conjure up in our minds. There's There's a tangible, practical element to it, right? It's about obedience. That's what Jesus says. But we need to be careful when we get into this. And I want to point out two things that we need to be careful about. Firstly, obedience comes from love, not the other way around. In other words, God doesn't love us because we obey him. We obey him because he loves us, right? God doesn't love us because we we obey him. We obey him because he loves us. This is one of the main points of the gospel. Romans 5 tells us that that God loved us while we were still sinners. It wasn't like, oh, we cleaned ourselves up and started to do good things, and then suddenly, oh, he's not too bad, I love him. No, he loved us while we were still sinners, God loves us because he loves us, not because of our lovableness. 
It's not because we're lovely. It's because he is lovely. It's because he is full of love that he loves us. And in response to that, we see that for what it is. And we're like, of course, God, of course, I'm going to follow you. And the second thing is that we need to be careful about is that sometimes we reduce love to this abstract, abstract concept, don't we? You know, especially the, way that, especially the way that we in the West talk about love. I think maybe in Eastern cultures, love's a bit more practical and tangible. But, but here, you know, love is like, we talk about falling in love. We talk about the emotions of love. We talk about all these different things which are a bit less practical and tangible. But love isn't abstract. We don't have to imagine what love looks like, right? We have the embodiment of love in the person of Jesus, He's our perfect example. And, and, and what did he do? Jesus says, abide in his love by doing what he does. Obey the commands of the Father. For Jesus, to, to abide in love was obeying the commands of the Father. And we're to do that. He's like, this is how you love. This is how you remain in love. Remain in my love. Now, maybe you don't like this idea. Maybe you're a bit like me. And when somebody tells you what to do, you're like, don't tell me what to do. That's generally my first reaction. My second reaction is, who are you to tell me what to do? But actually, that's a really good question. If we look at Jesus and ask, who are you to tell me what to do? Then we'll see who he is. And of course, he's going to tell us what to do. Because we were created to to serve and obey him. And when Jesus puts it this way, he's actually restoring the creation order. He's restoring how things are meant to be. Does that make sense? We are created to, to obey and serve him. Our freedom that comes in Jesus is actually uh, making ourselves a servant to Jesus and therefore, by default, servants to other people. By obeying Jesus, we recognize that God is our king. He's our Lord. He's our savior. He's our father. And we submit to him as we were created to be, as disciples, as brothers and sisters, as, as slaves, as children of God. And when we do all this, we will have joy because that's how we were created to be. That's what we were made for. In that moment, then we're doing what we were made for. You were made for that. You were made to do that. And it's for our joy. It's all for our joy. And I'm nearly finished. In verse 11, Jesus says, My joy, all of this, is that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Jesus is saying that joy is a gift, that we actually partake in the joy of God, that that he gives us his joy. It works like this. The Father loves Jesus, so Jesus loves us. Jesus abides in the Father's love by keeping his commandments, so we abide in his love by keeping his commandments. And he gives us his joy, and therefore our joy is complete. Our joy is only full when he gives us his joy. But I do want to come back to this before we end because I know for a lot of you right now um, that maybe joy isn't, you know, very forthcoming right now or maybe you're finding that hard. And maybe you're asking the question, this is great and all. If joy is this gift, then why is it not my experience? Honestly, I think it's because a lot of the time we don't choose to walk in this joy. And that's hard to hear, but I think that's it. From what we've studied this morning, when, when Jesus is our greatest treasure and our greatest desire, and uh, we will have joy. 
Maybe we aren't full of joy all the time because we don't abide in his, his love all the time. Maybe we don't have joy all the time because we don't obey his commands all the time. Maybe we need to remember our first love. Because if we saw Jesus for who he really is and, and all that he has done for us, then I guarantee you that we'd be bursting with joy. C.S. Lewis puts it this way in a great book called Surprised by Joy. He said, It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures. That's true. Fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday by the sea. We are far too easily pleased. Are you, are you too easily pleased? Do we, even though we have received the truth of Jesus, even though we know that these things are promised to us, do we just keep on, as he says, making mud pies in the slum when we could be at the beach having a sweet holiday? Are we still, are we still looking for joy in, in all these things that are just temporary and won't give us real joy? Is Jesus your greatest satisfaction? Do you abide in his love? See, I, I think that a lot of the time we don't feel joyful because we're not delighting in Jesus. And this is why, as I was saying to somebody earlier, this is why we need to come back to the gospel all the time. We need to be reminding ourselves and remind each other of the gospel of Jesus because if we want to delight in Jesus, then we need to be reminded of the gospel. We need to be reminded of who he is and what he's done for us. This is why Paul says in Philippians 4, that we should rejoice in all things and be thankful at all times. It's a choice. Look, I would say that, that and I want to be really careful here. I don't want to, I'm not speaking into all mental health stuff and stuff like that. But what I am saying is that most of the anxiety and worry that we face is not because our problems are too big, but because our Jesus is too small. We need a bigger Jesus. We need a bigger view of Jesus. We need to see Jesus for who he is. When we delight in Jesus and when we're constantly reminding each other of, of who he is and what he's done, then we'll realize that there's nothing that he hasn't overcome for us. Seriously, when we take this meal, you think there's anything in the world that he hasn't overcome for you? Why would you not be joyful in that? And I'm saying that to myself. We got this thing, we, we've got the fullness of joy. There's nothing in the world that Jesus hasn't overcome for you. This is why we take the Lord's Supper every week in this church. Jesus says, as often as you do this, remember me. So we do it as often as we can to remember him. That's why we do it. But interestingly, one of the names for this, the Lord's Supper communion, is the Eucharist. Now in that word, Eucharist, is that word kara that we uh, talked about earlier. Eucharist. It literally means that this meal is, is, um, it contains joy. It's a meal of thanksgiving and gladness. And why wouldn't it be? Because it represents what Jesus has done for us. It represents that, that our, all is well with our soul. And we take this bread that, that represents his body broken for us. And we take the, the wine that represents his blood spilled for us. We're reminded what Jesus has done for us and what other reaction could we have but joy. Sometimes you come to the table, we're all like, oh man, you know, like it's really sorrowful and 
somber and all that kind of stuff. But this is a joyful meal. Because when we take this, we go, it is well with my soul. It doesn't matter what happens for the rest of my life. It doesn't matter what I'm going through right now. That, that eternally, that, that I am safe and secure. Eternally, that, that it's all sweet for me. That's why it's called the Eucharist. It's a meal of thanksgiving, a meal of joy, a meal of gladness. A meal that says, it's well with my soul because Jesus has died and rose again for me. And that's cause to be joy. This is what real joy looks like. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. I'm going to get the guys to come back up again on the stage. I'm going to pray for us um, before, we, before we do take this meal together. Father, um, we just need to confess that we don't always find our joy in you, that we often still replace our joy with, with false sources of joy, with idols, and, and, and we take these good things that you've given to us for our joy and, and make them the source of our joy. Father, I just pray that you would renew our joy in you. Father, you give us such a big vision of, of who you are and what you've done for us that, that we would just be overflowing with joy. That Father, just please help us to figure out that it's okay for us to be happy, that we should be happy. Father, help us as we take this meal to remember what you've done for us and remember that we have the answer to everlasting and eternal joy. Father, I pray that we would come to the table this morning with glad hearts, that we wouldn't just be happy when we get home to our families, that, that we would be happy because of what you have done and who you are for us, Lord. We need this. We need your help in this as we need your help in everything. Jesus, help us to find your joy this morning. Lord, I pray for any of us in this room that aren't feeling joyful at the minute. Lord, I pray for anyone that's just feeling like their problems and their anxieties and their worries are just too big. Lord, I, I pray not necessarily that their anxieties and worries would lessen, but that their vision of you would grow and grow and grow until it far outweighs those things. Lord, help us look forward to a day 10,000 years in the future when we'll look back at these hard times and they'll just be a blip on the radar. They'll just be a speck in history. Help us live with this eternal perspective, Lord, and let our joy flow from you, that we are created in your image, and, and through your death and resurrection, you've restored us to live in that image, to live in the fullness of giving glory to God and for our joy. Help us, Lord, as we come to the table and worship you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.